Hello, and welcome to another unexciting episode of Hashtag Pistons. I'm Joe, I'm your host, and uh, so this will probably be up Friday morning. Um, once again, figure just it worked out with the way that, with the days that they're playing games, we could just record it on Thursday morning like normal, and then it'll be up Friday morning. And yeah, so we'll jump right into it. Uh, the Nets game the other night, uh, really just a great dominant win for the Pistons. And, you know, the Nets are obviously not all that good, and they really were, they really just, I simply put, they did not play well. But with that said, it doesn't matter who it is. When you're playing an NBA team, when you dominate like the Pistons dominated that game, that's a good sign. It's a good win. And I was more impressed, actually, with the defensive effort of the Pistons than the offensive effort, because even though they did execute really well, on offense, uh, it seemed to me that the Nets really were not on top of things defensively. And, you know, it's a little strange because of the fact that this season the Nets have been a bad offensive team. They score a lot of points because they play at a fast pace. But as far as offensive offensive efficiency, they've been a really bad team. I think they're like, what, 24th in the NBA heading into last night. And uh, let's see, what are they now? Now they are 27th. I don't remember exactly what they were heading into the game, but they're they're a bad offense. They're one of the worst offensive teams in the NBA. But their defense is not all that good, but it's been okay. Um, it's now at 17th. I think it was 15th or 14th heading into the game last night. So obviously not that good, but it's not terrible. But I still came away feeling better about the Pistons' defensive performance than their offensive performance. It's because I think the Nets really, they just did not bring any defensive energy. Uh, I think that... Special K and uh, Blaha actually said it a few times last night that, you know, the Nets, they said, they remarked a few times, the Nets just don't seem ready to play defense on a lot of these possessions. And that's actually, I think that's pretty true that they just, they don't seem, they haven't seemed, they didn't seem ready on a whole lot of possessions. The Pistons just had a very easy time getting pretty much whatever looks they wanted. And once again, they executed well in order to get those easy looks, but they didn't have to do a whole lot. So, like, for instance, um, coming off of the win against Boston earlier in the season, uh, that was one where I came away hugely impressed with the Pistons' offensive performance because, first off, Boston is a really good off defensive team, and they were playing good defense. Just the offense was really humming, really executing. They really worked, and they just straight-up beat good defense. The Nets were playing just awful defense in this one. And, you know, on the other end, even though, once again, the Nets are not a good offensive team, but I think the Pistons just really played with a concerted effort. Andre Drummond, in particular, was excellent all night long. Uh, and it just, it was really impressive. And I think that uh, it's a really good sign. Um, that's as healthy as, this is as healthy as the Pistons have been in weeks and as healthy as they can hope to be going forward for the next while at least. Uh, we don't know exactly what the deal is going to be with John Luer. Um We'll see if Reggie Jackson is able to come back towards the upper end of his projection or if it's longer than that. But this is the, sort of, this is the team the Pistons are going to have for a while. And I've said it before, but this is the way that the Pistons will have to win. So even if the Nets had not played such comically bad defense, the Nets only scored 80 points. Like, they completely shut down the Nets defensively. And so even though most nights their offense is not going to be all that effective for the Pistons, they are going to have to win with defense. 
And last night was a great step towards that. And another thing that was good about it and continuing to look forward. So they played the Nets. Next they play Chicago and Charlotte before they have to go to Toronto and then they play a few tougher games. But, you know, simply put, because of the fact that without Reggie Jackson, um, a place where that really hurts in particular is sort of in close games, late games, where they can just lean on him running pick and rolls to generate offense, right? So within that, with him being out, I think it's safe to assume that they're going to have a tendency to come up short in close games without him. And so that means that in more evenly matched teams, they're more likely to lose, essentially, than they were before. And that's one of the big areas where Jackson being injured is going to hurt them. Um, So, like, for the past few weeks, they've just been so hurt, whether it was Avery Bradley being out or not being right yet. You know, Stanley Johnson was out for a while. All kinds of guys were hurt at various times over the past few weeks. So it's like, we don't care how you win, just win. Now that everybody's back, other than Jackson and Lure, um... Now you start to look at the longer-term outlook until Jackson comes back. And that's the main area. Now, the offense just in general is not as good with Ishmith. That There's no way around that. The offense is much worse uh, as a whole. But the main place where you really see a fall-off is, from what I can tell at least, and it's consistent with um, you know, just what you would think on paper how it would work, is that they're going to struggle to create looks in late in games. And that's going to be enough of an edge that they're going to have a tendency to come up short in close games, I think. And so within that, you really need to make sure you take care of business against teams that you should be able to beat. So Brooklyn, Charlotte, Chicago, these are teams that the Pistons are, even in this state, they are objectively better than these teams. And now Chicago's been playing really well lately, so maybe (laughs) they're not going to be such a gimme probably, but... um. You know, within that is that they really need to make sure they take care of business in these games and play well, and they're going to have to do it with their defense. So um, it was really good to see that in this game against the Nets. And then there's really three things that I want to touch on specifically from it. So first off, Drummond defensively. Um, It's a trend that started to happen the last few games. You're starting to see it more, but um, whenever you are sort of honing a new skill or new ability, in basketball, the first step is earning the respect of other teams in that skill, and then the next step from there is learning to um, take advantage of that respect and still being able to be successful while having respect for a certain skill. So, um, and with Drummond, you're starting to see that people are starting to have some real respect for his um, defensive abilities and, in particular, his rim protection. There's one play in particular, I think it was in the second quarter, where Alan Crabb was in the close corner from beyond three, and he pump faked, I don't remember who it was, but they bit on the pump fake, and he started to drive hard to the paint. Drummond saw it, and he took a step over, like literally one step, and Alan Crabb immediately was like, nope, and he pulled up for a jumper. Now, he hit the jump shot, and he's a good shooter, so that's not a big deal. But just you're starting to see that sort of stuff more often with people that guys who are not particularly brave or tenacious drivers are starting to just be like, yeah, I'm just going to take a floater. Yeah, I'm going to pull up for a jumper here. Um, guys are starting to be wary. Like people are legitimately starting to be, become wary of Andre Drummond patrolling the paint. And that's something that, you know, it's a little different from a lot of other skills because I, it's like with Tobias Harris, who we'll talk about in a second. 
um, you have to adjust, and you can. Sh- he struggled for a bit while he was adjusting to it. For Drummond, there's a certain extent to which it'll test his um, his discipline a little bit. So is he, you know, so like essentially in that play, if Alan Crabb is going to step in and just pull up for a jump shot like that, Drummond has done his job. Stay home, make sure he doesn't get an open pass to whoever's right under the hoop, and make sure you rebound if he misses. You know, he's done his job. It's going to take a little bit of a test of his discipline to not get overzealous trying to stop people from shooting floaters and jump shots and such like that. Like, you've won the battle at that point. You've forced the mid-range shot, so to speak. But, um, really, it's mostly just a good thing. And he really is, man, he really is starting to figure it out defensively. And it's really been fun to watch, quite frankly. Um, and then the other one, so I said we talked about, so Tobias Harris, uh, he's really starting to reap the benefits now of his great shooting. And uh, it took a little bit for him to get adjusted. So early in the year, obviously, people were assuming, oh, it's Tobias Harris. He's not a good three-point shooter. We're going to sit way off of him. We're going to let him do his thing. And, you know, he'll hit some threes occasionally, but for the most part, we'll be fine. And obviously, early in the season, he was like, okay. And he just bombed people into oblivion for a while. And um, so then teams started to adjust, and they were like, okay, Tobias Harris can really shoot. And he st- he struggled with that adjustment for a little bit. Um, he had a few games where he really he was not very good. And when he scored points, he was inefficient, and he was struggling with it. But lately, I think he started to uh, sort of figure it out and get comfortable with pumping and driving and getting into the lane. And he's really starting to take advantage of it. And once again, that's the next step. So the first step is become proving it, essentially, by shooting well enough on those open shots they give you to prove that they should guard you so they have to guard you. That's the first step. The second step is then taking advantage of it, and he's starting to do that now. And for what it's worth, last three games, he scored 27, 25, and 22 points. Let's go a little bit further back. Tobias Harris has, over the past eight games, 24 points, five assists. 30 points, 1 assist, 21 points, 2 assists, 12 points, 5 assists, 19 points, 2 assists, 14 points, 3 assists, 27 points, 1 assist, 25 points, 4 assists, 22 points, 4 assists, 1 assist, 1 assist, sorry. Um, that's like, the worst game in there is the uh, 14 points, 3 assists, and that was the Philly game where the Pistons just got utterly trashed. Other than that, he has really been turning it on lately since Reggie Jackson has gone out. And I mentioned this in the recap, but if Tobias Harris proves in this stretch that he's actually now comfortable enough, you know, sort of making the right basketball plays, at least at the at a basic level, that he can, you know, he can uh be a sort of primary ball handler and a true number one option in the offense, uh, that would be a sort of silver lining of Reggie Jackson going out because he was already doing more ball handling and had more responsibilities than he did previously. Uh, And largely as a result of the motion offense, and Stan Van Gundy has given some indications that you know one of the reasons that they wanted to go to the more motion offense is to give Tobias Harris specifically a better opportunity 
to uh, handle the ball a little bit more and such. And he'd done pretty well in that. But the Pistons, as a coaching staff, an organization, whatever, were rightfully hesitant to give him too much because it's always been a weak spot for him is that he's never been a great um, ball handler. Pretty much if he's got the ball, he's do- he's going to try and score. And if he can't get up, a- he's either going to put up a good shot, a bad shot, or just reset. He's not going to do a whole lot beyond that. And um, he was oftentimes too het- not he didn't have enough patience to try and get a good shot. He was too willing to just sort of settle for bad shots and such. All sorts of things. These are the things that have plagued Tobias Harris throughout his entire career. And he'd already shown some improvements this year, but they were hesitant to put too much on him. And then Reggie Jackson gets hurt, and they decide, okay, well, we don't really have a choice at this point. We have to put more ball handling duties with him. And he's really done well. So that could legitimately end up being a silver lining. Um, he's handling the ball better, he's passing the ball, he's taking better shots, he's not settling as much, he's drawing a lot of fouls as well. Um, Over this stretch, let's see here. So last night he only shot one free throw. But so over this stretch, so since Reggie Jackson got down, including the next game where Jackson got hurt, Tobias Harris is averaging 21.6 points per game, 2.7 assists against just .9 turnovers, He's shooting 5.6 free throws per game, shooting 47% from three on almost five attempts per game. He's his, um, oh, it's not there. Like, (laughs) that is really, really good. And those are numbers, honestly, like, that's a number one option. That's what those numbers are. Those are numbers for a number one option in an offense. And... That is a great sign, um, just simply put. And if that's something that can be a real thing, that's not just he's having a particularly good stretch of playing, that would be huge for the Pistons. And I think that it is kind of, I think it probably is sustainable because he's largely done it um, not by, not by just, because early in the year there was a tendency for the games where he'd have a lot of points, like score a bunch of points, there was a tendency for them to be nights where he just happened to hit a whole bunch of threes. That's That was sort of a common trend among them. That hasn't so much been the case. He hit a ton of threes against the Knicks, I mean against the, against the Pacers. But other than that, now he shot well. He's shooting like 47% from three. But he hasn't just been bombing threes like crazy. He's been doing it inside, and he's been passing the ball. And it just it seems more sustainable to me. It's not exactly against a murderer's row of defenses, but he's played really well, and I'm really intrigued to see if that can keep up. And within that, Tobias Harris is starting to maybe look like he's moving from nice player that the Pistons like to have, but not an integral core piece, to being like, to joining Drummond as a potential guy that's like, this guy we're keeping. So like, one thing that I'm going to be doing fairly soon, hopefully, is um, a, a piece just sort of outlining guys, you know, the trade, uh, essentially a trade deadline prep thing, where, you know, I'm planned sort of going through putting everybody into a sort of category of how likely they are to be traded, you know, what their value is low, value is and such. Tobias Harris, I mean, he's not there yet. He'll need to prove it. And simply put, between now and the deadline is probably not enough time to prove it. But he's getting close to where, you have to start seriously thinking about him as a possible 
the possibility that he is going to be, he's going to be able to join Drummond as like, this is a dude you're keeping and you're going to continue to build around. And who knows if he'll keep it up, but I'll tell you what, it's exciting that he started down that road because he was not there before this season. So that's exciting and it's really fun. And he's just a fun player to watch too. So um, yeah, just Tobias Harris really playing well. And as a ball handler, he's really impressed me because that's always been a blind spot for him. And credit to him, at least it appears that he's made some real improvements in that area. Um, next thing to talk about, Dwight Bikes. I mean, <laughs> what are you, like, jeez, it's kind of, I'm hesitant, and I'm, I said this in my recap, I'm hesitant because his true shooting percentage with the Pistons this year is all the way up at 59%, okay? That is a really good true shooting percentage for a guy who's creating most of his own offense. In the D-League this year, or G-League, I apologize, he was his true shooting percentage was 52.5%, I think. Then the previous year he was in the G-League, because he wasn't in, in the G-League the last two years. He's playing in China the last two years, I think. Um, he was at, like, 52.9% for a true shooting percentage. And it's just... <laughs> It's not generally a thing that happens where you come to the NBA from any lower league and suddenly you become a more efficient scorer. You know, that's <laughs> that's just that's not usually how that works. But, I mean, it, he's been doing it and how exact where exactly he ends up evening out is going to be interesting to watch because it's so like truthfully, so like because people people ask this, I'm sure because people ask this about Ishmith. He went through a stretch last year where he was playing really, really, really well, and it was like he's not going to keep it up. And people were like, "Well, what if he does keep it up?" Okay, if Dwight Bikes keeps this up, then he changes the um, what would be the right word? He changes the outlook a little bit for this team because now Ishmith becomes him or Ishmith are legit trade pieces that could become dispensable. Um, Dwight Bikes actually, if this is actually how good he is as a scorer, there is an argument to be made that Dwight Bikes would be better than Ishmith. Once again, I'm not saying he is. I think he's going to regress as a, with his efficiency. I just, I don't see it. It's possible he's the exception to the rule, but he would still be the exception, okay? So unless someone's going to prove to be the exception to the rule, assume the rule is going to be true. That's generally the way that I go about things, right? If he is the exception to the rule, and he's that good a scorer, that effective, he's probably better than Ish Smith is. And if that's the case, what if you extend Dwight Bikes the rest of the season then, and you let, and then you can trade Ish Smith at the deadline? I don't know exactly how much value Smith would have, but he'd probably have some. And I'm not saying that that's a realistic possibility. I would be hesitant to do that just because, I'm when the deadline comes up, it's. Uh, Let's see, when the deadline comes up at, what, February, uh, sort of the middle of February, um, I don't remember what the exact day is, it's February 15 or 16 or something like that, 14 maybe, uh, regardless, of, or is it a little sooner? They changed it this year, regardless. Um, when the trade deadline is, that would probably not be enough time for me to be utterly convinced that Dwight Bikes is able to keep it up, um, but it's just... It's, he's going to, if he keeps playing like this, he's going to give the Pistons something to really think about, because he's really been playing well, 
and you can just see it on the floor. His ability to shoot and score makes that bench mob. It gives them a different, um, a different aspect that just wasn't there with Ish- that just isn't there with Ishmith, and he's good. And you know the one thing I have said this in the recap the last couple of games, but the thing that bodes well for his ability is to have staying power in the league is that he also plays defense. And that's been really a pleasantly surprising thing is that I wasn't expecting him to be this efficient, but, um, you know, if you'd told me Dwight bikes, he's going to score, he's going to really be like, he's going to be scoring the ball really well. I wouldn't have been that shocked because that's what he's done in other leagues, whether it be the G league or overseas somewhere. But the fact that he's playing defense like this has really been a pleasant surprise, and I've really been impressed by his defensive effort. So, um, for now, I'm going to assume that he's going to cool off at some point. And, you know, at that point, it depending on how hard he cools off, it could be a problem, or it might just be, well, he's just not doing as well as he was, but he's still fine. Um, but, you know, for now, enjoy the ride, I suppose. Other thing I want to mention, Luke Kennard. So... Now, the Pistons have not really, from what I understand at least, seems like the Pistons are certainly not shopping him. But a lot of teams have shown very strong interest in Kennard. All right? Once again, the Pistons are not shopping him, as it appears at least. It's just that other teams are showing strong interest. The Pistons are probably looking to looking at some moves that they could make. They're always aggressive. The hallmark of Stan Van Gundy's front office is that they're going to look under every single rock, right? That is what their M.O. has been since Stan Van Gundy has arrived. And so within that, you have to, li- you're probably listen to- listening to the offers, which is correct. They should be listening to the offers. That said, I think Luke Kennard, unless you are potentially including him as a package for a legit star of some sort, I don't think there's any way they should trade Kennard. Right, so like as far as a legit star goes, so let's just say, okay, something in Oklahoma City changes, and they decide we're going to trade Paul George, and then Paul George's best friend Reggie Jackson is sort of gives the Pistons a wink, wink, like I've talked to him. If we trade for him, he's pro- he'd resign here. Okay, so let's just say once again, I'm not saying that would happen, but right, the Thunder have made it pretty clear they're intending to keep George. They're going to try and keep him in free agency. Right, all that. Okay. Let's just say, this is just fantasy land, all right? If that were to happen, and then Reggie Jackson, like, one thing that is worth mentioning, if Paul George were to become available, with Reggie Jackson around, the Pistons would have something that could actually be intriguing to him, because those two are actually best friends. Like, not just like, oh, they like each other, they're buddies. Like, they live together all summer and train together, like, all summer. They Like, that's something they do. Those two are absolutely best buds. So that's just one thing worth mentioning. But so, okay, so let's say Paul George becomes available to trade, and there's a wink-wink from Reggie Jackson that, yeah, we're pretty sure he's going to resign if you trade for him. He'll stay here. right? So they get that. At that point, then Luke Kennard is your best trading asset. Then you go, okay, I'm willing to move Luke Kennard to get Paul George. Like, there's a certain point at which you just say, okay, we're doing this, right? Unless something like that happens, though, I wouldn't trade him. Because here's the thing I saw someone, it wasn't a Pistons guy, it was someone else who was like, you know, the Pistons now face a tough choice. Sacrifice some of the future assets for when now or not. And that's something that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Because here's the reality. 
Luke Kennard is playing, what is he playing? He's playing, I think, just over 17 minutes a game. And some of those, and that's brought down a little bit by early in the season, he um, he was mostly playing in garbage time. So he's playing about 20 minutes a game, pretty close, as a, as a member of the rotation. And within that, he's a really important member of the bench crew. He's providing elite three-point shooting and a dash of scoring and shot creation that is really desperately needed on the on the bench mob that now fe- that now looks to be featuring Eric Moreland and Stanley Johnson for the foreseeable future. He's one of the best shooters that I that dude can shoot. I think he's already like on pace to be by far the most effective three-point shooter in Pistons history. Um and just like the dude can play and he's already providing a really important role on this Pistons team. And so my basic point is you're gonna if you trade him away for someone else, who are you gonna return that's going to be that much of an you know gonna be able to provide and that in a way more significant manner than Luke Kennard is? And one thing I can say with almost absolute certainty, Kennard is gonna be a lot cheaper than whoever you'd be trading him for. So I just I would not be behind that at all. Kennard is good. He's already contributing. It's like let's say Kennard was in and out of the rotation, and not playing all that well. Then I would at least consider that as, okay, there's a thought process there. Kennard isn't really helping us right now. Maybe you look at trading him for someone who can. But he is helping right now. That's the point. And he's providing an, and he's helping in really important ways. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade him unless it was part of a package for a legit star. And that's just that's the reality. So, yeah. Um, so last thing to touch on then is the Pistons have a game against the Chicago Bulls coming up, which will be, um, let's see, so if this is up on Friday morning, I think that'll be tomorrow, actually. Yeah, so Saturday, I believe it will be, is when that game against Chicago will be. Um, the Bulls are obviously playing better as of late. Uh, they were awful, awful, awful to start the season. They have started to lose a little bit, but... Um, it's like they had a, what, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven game win streak. Then they lost a couple, then they won three more, and now they've, they've lost a few more. But they have won two of their last four. They beat the Knicks in an absolutely thrilling game on, um, on, uh, on Wednesday night. I watched the end of that because I haven't really watched the Bulls at all this year. But, I mean, they're a team that I, I wouldn't be too worried about them, but I'll say this, Laurie Markkinen can play, like straight up. That dude can play. He is really good. Chris Dunn has started to find some offensive game. Justin Holiday can shoot threes a little bit. Robin Lopez plays defense. Um, one thing I'd say, so like there's been some talk about the Pistons maybe looking at Nikola Mirotic. I would, I, I'd be surprised if that actually becomes much of a thing. To be honest, I just, I don't see why they do that. I don't think he's all that good. He's not going to keep up the play he's had so far this year. Um, one guy that I would have some interest in from them, though, David Nwaba. That that dude plays defense like crazy. And, I mean, obviously, like, if you paired him with Stanley Johnson, I don't know if the bench mob would ever score again for any reason ever. But I tell you what, no one would score on him. So, I mean, if you could, I don't know what you would be required to get him, but if it was something cheap, like if you could move him for something real, get him for something real cheap, I really think that that would be a nice trade, honestly, because 
You wouldn't have to play him very much, but he would provide some really good defense. And just, they could, uh, I just, <laughs> I'm probably overreacting to, like, the one game. I, I watched a little bit of the Bulls a couple other times, but not all that closely. And But just, geez, he also did the same thing with the Lakers last year. Just every time I've seen him, he's been absolutely stupendous defensively. So I just, that's one thing. But, and they've got some players, and maybe Fred Hoidberg actually can coach. We'll, and we'll see how this goes the rest of the year. But um, it may be unfortunate because the Pistons are playing the Bulls for the first time. So if the Bulls have sort of figured something out, and, um, oh, oh, I didn't even see this. Apparently Zach Levine, or Levine, whichever one it is, I always get it wrong, is apparently supposed to make his season debut against the Pistons. Okay, <laughs> so that'll be another thing to watch for. Um, that could be a little bit unfortunate for the Pistons, just all in all that. It's like, if they've actually figured something out, and now Levine comes back, who's a good player, if he actually looks pretty good, it may well be that the Bulls are going to be not as trash as they were early in the season, and so the Pistons are going to have to get all of their games played against them now instead of early in the year when they were just getting killed by everybody. But even with all of that, I'd still say the Pistons should be able to win. Um, the Pistons are still a better team. The one thing is that Robin Lopez always gives Andre Drummond trouble because he's big and strong enough to contend with him. He's fundamentally sound. And, uh, yeah, but just, I think that the Pistons will be in good shape, though. Laurie Markkinen, though, that is a dude, that dude can play straight up. That guy can play. So, yeah, um, that's going to be it for today. Everybody, stay beautiful, stay lovely. Um, if you want to check out a new article, I, the, there's an article about Henry Ellenson that just got put up that I did the other day. And um, I think next up will probably be something about the trade deadline. I don't know if I'll do one um, highlighting why the Pistons should not trade Luke Kennard or if I'll just do a sort of general uh, trade deadline prep. But right, right, we're literally just crossed the half hour mark, so that'll be it. Stay beautiful and go Pistons.